Father, we thank you for your faithfulness and your goodness and your love. We thank you for your people, how you have blessed my family with such beautiful, wonderful people of God. We're so welcome and so blessed in this wonderful church. We praise you. We love you. And Father, now may the meditation of my heart and the words that are spoken through this servant who is unworthy to proclaim and to teach your word, I pray that you would fill me with your spirit, that you may be pleased, that you may be blessed by the words that are spoken today. And may UBC congregation, my brothers and sisters, they will be blessed as well as we hear your word. In the holy name of Christ we pray, amen. When I first submitted my resume last March, it was last March, uh, I was intimidated for two reasons, at least two reasons. First reason I was intimidated was that I knew that Uptown Baptist Church was a thriving, growing, vibrant church. And I knew, again, I heard about Pastor Ellen, and he was doing a fantastic, wonderful job leading this beautiful congregation. That's one of the reasons why I was intimidated. Also, I, uh, I, know that I knew that the church had a rich history, and it was respected by our denomination, as well as respected by the community that surrounds this church. Second, due to the fact that this church was healthy, vibrant, and growing church, I knew that many pastors would submit their resume as well. And I thought to myself, these pastors who submitted their resume, they're far more gifted, they're far more talented, they're far more resourceful in the areas of ministry, in the areas of preaching. So you can imagine that I felt intimidated, a little bit of fear and anxiety as well as I submitted my resume last March. As I went to the Lord in prayer on my knees, I I, I asked the Lord, I said, Lord, is it your will for me and my family to be here at Uptown Baptist Church? Am I the person that you have chosen to be the next senior pastor or Uptown Baptist Church? Because I got big shoes to fulfill, Pastor Allen. So you could imagine how I was feeling. And as I was praying daily, as I was seeking the Lord daily in prayer. 6 a.m., Brother Doug, but at my home. (laughs) Asking him for guidance. Asking him for his wisdom. Asking him for his strength. So you could imagine what I was going through. And the Lord led me to this text that I often resonate and that I always find comfort in. It's in 1 Samuel chapter 16 where Samuel was going around looking for Israel's first king. And he was looking around and he was thought, maybe that person there, maybe that person there, that person is tall and, hands, uh, tall and handsome. So if 1 Samuel was here, he would not be looking at me because I'm not tall. By the way, TK, I admire you. Yeah, I admire you by your songs and the, the way you led, but I admire your height. <laughs> Brother. <laughs> but when I go to heaven, I'll be tall as you. 
you know, and I'll be able to sing like you. And I'm going to dunk a basketball over you. And as you know, Pastor Mark gave this uh, a wonderful sermon a couple of weeks ago based on this text. I didn't know he was going to do that. Nor, was he gonna, nor did he know that I was going to share from this text this morning. So I knew that it was a God thing. Amen? So 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse uh, 7, this is what the Lord said to Samuel. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider the appearance or his height. Thank the Lord. <laughs> For I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. Amen? Amen. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at what? Say it again. The heart. My prayer that immediately followed from reading this text, this text in my devotion with the Lord. This is the question that I was asking the Lord. I said, Lord, is my heart pure? Is my heart sincere? And if you look at my heart and if it's not sincere or pure, then Lord, you have to make my heart pure. Amen? Then you have to make my heart sincere. Because I want to be a servant that has a pure heart. I want to be a servant that seeks after your own heart. And so, Lord, you got to make it happen. You got to make it happen. So, loved ones, my loved ones, my dear brothers and sisters in Christ, I come to you in humility. I come to you in love. I come to you with Christ strength and not my own i come to you solely depend on god's wisdom and not my own i come to you in weakness so that his power may manifest in my weakness finally i come to you in christ where my confidence and my hope lie So this morning's text is from 1 Corinthians chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. From this text we will discover Paul went to Corinth, not with human wisdom or eloquence, but in weakness. Now you know why I chose this text. And in his weakness, he was determined that his preaching was a demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power and not him. Now from this text, as we study it, we will draw out three facts, three truths about Paul when he went to Corinth. First truth or first fact is this, as you see it behind me, is that Paul came not with human wisdom. Paul came not with human wisdom. In verse 1, Paul says this, And so it was with me, brothers and sisters, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence or human wisdom, as I proclaimed to you the testimony about God. The question naturally arises, why did Paul write this way? Now, in order for us to understand why he wrote this way, is that we, I'm going to give you a little background of Corinth at that time. You see, at that time, in Greco-Roman world, rhetoric and sophists 
was extremely pop- popular. In other words, it was the trend and it was the practice of that day. First, rhetoric. Rhetoric was a systematic practice at that time. It was taught, it was practiced, and it was the discipline of higher education. So it was practiced in, in every form. It was practiced in, in public debates. It was practiced in law courts. It was practiced even in funeral homes. Because it was the trend of that time. It was all about impressing the people with very polished rhetoric. It had nothing to do with content or speech, but everything to do with persuasion with rhetoric. Second, Sophist. Sophist was an orator who focused more on style than content. The goal of a sophist was to impress the people with their speaking ability, but what was missing was substance, content, or facts. It had nothing to do with presenting the truth or facts, but everything to do with art of delivery. So this is what Paul had to face when he went to Corinth. And this is what they expected of him as well. But Paul did not go to Corinth or to follow their cultural practices of that day, nor did he come to fulfill their expectations of him. So in verse 1, that is the reason why he says this, so, so it was with me, brothers and sisters. Now, why does Paul, what does Paul mean by this? Paul was referring to what he said earlier in the beginning of 1 Corinthians chapter 1, verse 27 to 31. If you see it behind me, he says, But God chose the foolish things of the world. He wasn't pointing fingers at anyone, but he was pointing finger at himself. God chose the weak things of this world to shame the strong. God chose the lonely things of this world and the despised things and the things are not. The question is, why does God choose people like who are weak, who are lonely? Why? Look at verse 29. So that no man, no one can boast before him meaning before God. It is because of him, meaning God, that you are in Christ Jesus, who has become for us wisdom from God, that is our righteousness, holiness, and redemption. Therefore, as it is written, let the one who boasts, what? Boast in the Lord. Amen? Say it again, please, with me. Boast in the Lord. Paul is saying that this is me, guys. When I came to you, I emptied myself from all self-reliance self, uh, because it doesn't work. Believe me, I tried it. But God made it clear and he humbled me for it. God chose me not because I was strong, but God chose me because I was weak. So that I will boast in the Lord and in the Lord only. Amen? Notice he says, when I came to you, I did not come with eloquence. 
In the Greek, it would read as not according to excellency of speech or human wisdom. As I proclaim to, to you the testimony about God. What Paul is saying is this. My preaching, my preaching, I did not come to decorate the message of what God did for us by using polished words or human wisdom. If I had, you would focus and evaluate how I speak. And you would miss what I'm saying. And you would miss what I'm saying. And that is the testimony of God. You will be evaluating how I articulate. You will evaluate how I eloquent. You will evaluate of the human wisdom instead of looking and listening to what is important. And that is the testimony about God. He says, you Corinthians put so much value and excellence of speech and human wisdom that signifies to nothing. I did not come to you to participate in rhetoric or philosophy, but I came to you to bear witness who God is and to bring transformation in your lives. Paul, didn't, Paul is saying, I did not come to you to inspire you. I did not come to you to impress you. I came to you for one purpose, and that is to bring transformation in your souls. So in verse 2, Paul gives the reason of what he just said. Notice in verse 2, Paul said this, For I resolved to know nothing. Now Paul does not mean that he doesn't know nothing. You and I know that Paul was highly educated. He was tutored one-on-one by the greatest mind. But he says, I resolved to know nothing. But what? To know Christ. But what he decided in his mind, the only thing that mattered to Paul was the gospel and the salvation of their souls. He had a deep passion for people's heart, and he had a deep passion for the gospel. He had a deep passion for the, uh, their salvation. If you read Romans 8, he said this for his countrymen, to the fellow Israelites. He said, if I could lose my salvation, I'm paraphrasing, if I could lose my salvation so that you may gain salvation and that you may get eternal life, then I'm willing to do it. That's how much he cared for the people's salvation. He was willing to sacrifice his own self. But he's able to do that because he knew that he was chosen by God. The question is, what about us? What about you? What about me? Do we care about people's salvation? Like Paul here. And it is the gospel or our top priority. Or is it something else? Please look around where you live. As students, where you attend at school. As your workplace, your neighborhood, where you go, where you, please look around. How God has statistically, how God has planned for you to be at your school, at your workplace, at your church, in your neighborhood. There's a reason why God placed you there, amen? Of course, to enjoy the neighborhood, or enjoy your work. That's all important. Enjoy the school. That's all important. But there is a deeper reason. 
why God placed you there. And Paul knew that. The primary reason you are there is to bear witness who Christ is. For he went to, for Paul, for he went to Corinth to bear witness and preach only Jesus Christ and him crucified for people's sin. Notice in verse 2 he said, while I was with you, except Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was the only thing that mattered to him. Paul may not have used rhetoric or human wisdom like others in Corinth. But his message, the gospel, had a deep substance and meaning. It was a life-giving message. So he didn't have to fancy it up with rhetoric or sophists or other persuasion. He just let the gospel speak for itself. Jesus crucified. In the same way, I come to you with not with eloquence. I couldn't do that even I tried anyway. Or speech to impress you. With human wisdom or, or rhetoric. Before, I, I, before coming to you, I resolve in my own heart to know nothing but Christ and him crucified. Amen? And that Christ will be exalted in my life. Christ will be magnified in my life. I resolve to know nothing but Christ. I love the way Paul put it in Philippians chapter 3, verses verse 7 and 8. One of the books that I really love to read over and over again. Philippians chapter 3, verses 7 and 8. He said, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of who? For Christ. Paul is saying that all the education that I received, the prestigious background and how I grew up, the highly educated tutors that I had one-on-one -on -one with. The career that I had as a Pharisee. And you know he was up-and-coming Pharisee. He had a bright future. He says, that I consider that all lost. That doesn't mean anything to me. Education, family background, my career, nothing. Nada. Doesn't mean anything to me. What is more, he says, I consider everything a loss because I love this part. Of the surpassing worth. Surpassing worth. The Greek word is hupaleo, meaning to hold above. To hold above because something that you value, because it's value and it's worth so much. So Paul is saying that Christ is what he hope up or value. And everything is worth nothing to me. Of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. Can you and I confidently say this? For, for his sake that I have lost all things. Remember, God gave his best, his one and only son. And are you and me, are we willing to give our best to, to God? Paul's background and what he achieved as a religious leader, any Pharisees or the teachers of the law would die for that kind of career. He says, I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ. Do you hear the Paul's passion here for Christ? He says, for me, for me, so for me, like Paul, whatever I thought was a gain, worldly gain, 
is worth nothing to me. What is more to me is what matters to me is that, that I gain the surpassing knowledge or hold above who Christ is in my, in my life because he's my loving Savior. He's my life. He's my, the reason that I live and breathe. Amen. Loved ones, are there anything in this world that is competing in your heart right now with Christ? Christ is in your heart, but is there something in your heart that Christ is competing with? Are there, like Paul, have we resolved to know nothing but him be crucified? Do we consider everything a loss or garbage that we may gain Christ? Are there anything in our heart that we cherish more than Christ? If there is, if there is something in your heart that you cherish more, and when God is asking you, listen, you need to remove that thing that you cherish so much above me. And as he speaks that to you, are you willing to remove it? In obedience. Many years ago, my old church member, a young adult, uh, a bright young gal who was an attorney, had a bright future. We went on a church retreat, and the last evening of that retreat, she came up to me and said, Pastor Nick, I want to recommit my life to Christ. I don't want to follow him half-heartedly like I've been all these years. I want to fully commit. I want to be his disciple. But there's one thing that is hindering me from having that kind of a relationship with him right now. And that is, I have a live-in boyfriend. And I know that God has been telling me and nudging my heart that he needs to move out and live in his own. But I just don't have the, 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 the courage to do so. But I feel right now, I sense God is saying, you got to do it. You got to do it. And I want to obey him. And I said, sister, I'm glad you're sharing this with me because I will help you. There are two things that you need to do. First thing is that you need to ask him to move out and get his own place. And second thing, I will disciple you and him. And that he will prayerfully come to the saving knowledge of our Lord Jesus Christ. To cut the long story short, he eventually accepted Christ. And they finally got married. Because she made a commitment. I will not marry you until you accept Christ. And God honored that. God blessed them. Now they have two wonderful kids. They live in a different state and they're serving the church faithfully. You see, God honors our obedience. Amen? And the question that I have to ask all of you and myself, are we, is there something in our heart that we cherish more than Christ? And if so, is Christ asking you, you need to remove it. Are we going to obey him? Second truth is this. Paul came in weakness and fear. In verse 3, Paul said, I came to you in weakness. Let me press the pause button here and go over. Why did Paul say this? Or what does Paul mean by weakness and weakness? First, this weakness was ongoing with him. It was not just a temporary thing, but it was chronic pain or, or whatnot, what it may be. We're not sure. And second, we don't really know, as I said, his weakness 
was not really, we don't really know what it entailed because it's not written in the word. But there are some hints of it. Maybe his eyes, because he made a reference to it about his eye. But whatever his weakness was, it was ongoing. But his weakness was there not to distract him or give him the reason to complain to God. But he knew that the weakness was there and he did not shy away from it. Matter of fact, what did he do? He boasted about his weakness. Because Paul knew God's power is moving in the midst of his weakness. John Stott writes, you welcome, uh, Elder Doug, John Stott, because I know he's one of the, uh, uh, I'll stop there, okay? Uh, John Stott writes, God's power operates best in human weakness. Weakness is the arena in which God can most effectively manifest his power. In other words, what John Stott is saying, God's power does not work if we boast about ourselves, if we rely on our own strengths and our own ability and our own power. He'll say, there's too many chefs in the kitchen, so I'll step away so that you could be the chef of your own heart and your own life. And when God does that, you and I know it doesn't turn out very well, does it? I've experienced it, and I'm sure you experienced this as well. It is only in weakness God's power is revealed. For Paul, he gladly boasts in his weakness because God's power will manifest in his weakness. Therefore, the core of his being, as Paul says, is God's power. Brothers and sisters, all of us have some form of weakness, do we not? Your weakness may differ from mine and mine from yours. But the bottom line is, we all have some form of weakness. But I want to encourage you this morning, and I believe that God wants to encourage you this morning through this servant, and that is, take courage in your weakness. And I believe that is what God is telling you today, this morning. Take courage. John Stott said it right. God's power operates best in human weakness. God made us weak so that we may rely on him. And in our weakness, his power will manifest in our lives. Amen? Amen. Now, Paul does not stop there with his weakness. He adds with great fear and trembling. He said, when I came to you, I came in weakness and with great fear and trembling. Paul was not afraid to admit his fear. For some reason, he was, he was, he was sensing and he said, this had this overwhelming fear that caused him to tremble. Can you imagine? Have you been there? If you, if you are afraid of something and you have this high anxiety, your body starts to tremble. And that's what happened to Paul. In the midst of his weakness as well as this fear that he, his, he, was, he had this trembling because he had this overwhelming crush of fear. Why did he have this kind of fear? Because he f- knew that he had this great responsibility. 
of preaching the word of God to Corinth, as well as this, the task that was in front of him. And I believe God put the fear and weakness in Paul so that Paul would not rely on him, but that Paul would rely on God. Amen? And I believe that's the one of the reasons why, again, he puts fear in your heart and he puts weakness in your heart and at the same time the anxiety because he wants you to turn to him and lean on him. Loved ones, God is reminding us through Paul there will be times when God calls you to participate in a situation and you may be intimidated or afraid of that calling. Have you been there? Or he may stretch you and you may have to move out of your comfort zone. But you are holding, holding back. God is calling you to do something. God is calling you to, to do something or to reach out. But you're saying, no, 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 Jesus. Uh, I'll just leave that to the elders. I'll just leave that to the, to the pastor. I just feel a little bit uncomfortable doing that. It's not how you wired me. It's just I'm a... I'm a, a, a by nature, I'm introvert. I don't have the, the ability to speak. I don't have the training to the gospel. I don't have this and I don't have that. Does that sound familiar like Moses? I don't know about you, but I'm tired of making excuses. Amen? When God calls us for an assignment, hear my Lord. Whatever that might be, I want to encourage you this, this morning. When God calls you, he will prepare you. And he will equip you. And he will help you to carry out that calling and the, and the assignment that he had placed in your heart. Listen, if you ignore the calling, if you ignore the assignment that he has placed in your heart, he's going to use someone else. And that someone else is going to be blessed. I pray and hope that we receive that assignment that God gives us wholeheartedly. Because we know, God, I know I'm uncomfortable. God, I know that I don't have it in me. But I know you will prepare me, you will equip me, and you will help me. I can do all things in Christ. Hallelujah. You see, the more you rely on God in the midst of your weakness and fear, the more God works and he gets the glory. Therefore, like Paul, we shall boast in our weaknesses. Amen? Third fact, the truth is, Paul came with spirit's power. I love that. In verse 4, Paul said this, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words. What Paul is saying is that my message that I preach to you, I don't need to use fancy rhetoric to persuade you or use wise words to convince you because there is power in the message itself. Remember, the focus is not on the messenger. The focus is on the message He's saying, I don't need to add anything to it. The power lives, lies in the message, and the Holy Spirit is the one that empowers me to proclaim it. You see, rhetoricians and sophists, for them it was all about power of delivery. It's all about bringing attention to themselves and say, look at me. 
They loved the fact that people were impressed and admired them for the, their ability to communicate. When in fact, what they were saying had no substance, no content. They only cared about the art of delivery. Do you know someone like that? They are very articulate, eloquent in their speaking, but when you really listen to what they're really, what they're really saying, there's not much what they're saying, right? There's a lot of fancy words and polish rhetoric and uh, human wisdom, but there's nothing really much to what they're saying, no substance. No content, no truth, no facts. For Paul, there was nothing impressive about him. Scholar says even his physical appearance, it was said that he was short, he was ugly and stocky. Nothing impressive about him. But despite his weakness physically, his lack of rhetoric and human wisdom, and it, but in his preaching, the core of his message and his preaching was Jesus Christ and him crucified. That was it. It is a message of Christ that brought Corinthians to repentance and led them to their faith. Furthermore, the Corinthians coming to the faith was the evidence of the Spirit's power and not Paul. And Paul was okay with that. Remember, it's all about him getting the glory. Paul had great faith, but it was nothing to do of his doing. It was all about God. Notice in verse 4 he said, but with the demonstration of the Holy Spirit's power, Paul reminds the church and us, the real power does not come from one's own ability or how well the preacher communicates the word of God. That's important. But more importantly, it comes from the power of the Holy Spirit. Amen? We can all be trained in preaching and in evangelism. We may sound good and impress others with our training. Please don't get me wrong. I firmly believe in training. And I will do training. But if we, please listen carefully, if we rely on the training, if we rely on our own ability, if we only rely on that, then there is no power of God in us. I remember I was preaching at a revival conference many years ago. And during my preparation, I spent a lot of time preparing for this message. I had the perfect intro. I had the perfect content, the body of the message, and perfect conclusion. The sermon flows smoothly. I mean, it had humor. It had illustration. It had scripture. It had everything in there. If my preaching professor at Trinity heard this sermon, he would have been very proud. But you know what, brothers and sisters? That sermon was ineffective. The reason why it was ineffective was because I was trusting more in the preparation of the sermon, more of, of, of preparing and practicing the, the, my delivery of that sermon, putting in humor, putting in illustrations, 
to back up what I'm saying. So it was all about how I was delivering it. And the Lord reminded me and he humbled me. And that is why he humbled me. He says, is that an effective sermon? It did not touch the people's heart. And he humbled me. The reason why is again, because I did not rely on God. I did not go on my knees to pray for the message. I believe that we have to prepare the message faithfully, but more so faithfully to pray for the message and for the people's heart. Charles Spurgeon, who's known as a prince of preacher, always relied on prayer. When, they, when, when he came down from his stage of preaching and people were saying, uh, Pastor Spurgeon, we were so blessed by your message. We were challenged. And he says, because of the saint's prayer. Because of the saint's prayer. Brothers and sisters, like Paul, we need to get rid of all self-reliance and put our trust and hope in Christ. We must rely on the power of the Holy Spirit who equips us and prepares us. He can't, he's not going to work if we have too much stuff inside our hearts that is not of him. Let me illustrate what I'm saying. As you look at this jar, if you notice there are some stones in the jar. Imagine, if you will, this jar represents your heart. And I want, to do, I want to encourage you to do an inventory of your heart. Examine your heart. What is in your heart right now? These stones can represent self-reliance. It could be sin. It could be specific sins like unforgiving heart. It could be bitterness. It could be envy. It could be a critical spirit. We all know someone who has a critical spirit, amen? And it could go on and on. The point is, what is in your heart? And Paul, he emptied his heart so that God's power will manifest in it. And if you remember in Philippians chapter 2, what does Paul describe? He said Christ himself emptied himself. And so the reason why I said we need to empty our heart and remove all the garbage that is in there is so that God may pour his power into our heart. Amen? And he's going to continue to pour and pour and pour. But if these stones are in here, it's going to hinder God's power. Because if you notice, let me give you a simple illustration. Now McDonald's, when you go to McDonald's, they, have, they give you the cup where you fill up on the fountain drink, correct? So you go to the fountain, fountain drink uh, station, and then what I do is that I don't put too much ice in there. You hear me? Because if you put too much ice, you got to get less Coke. Right? Now Starbucks, my wife informed me, now Starbucks charges you extra if you say easy ice because they know that you have to, they have to pour in more coffee. They do that. They, they know it. 
Because most people, what do they, what do, they do? Easy on the ice. So you can get more coffee or more drink. So sometimes I've, I've noticed people who are going up to the fountain to drink, they don't put any ice. They just put, get the drink. So similar idea. Have you, are you with me? We need to empty ourselves so that we get more filling, more power, more spirit's power in our hearts. And that's why Paul said, I've resolved to know nothing, that I, I've emptied myself so that there'll be more power of God in me. Amen? Loved ones, won't you join me emptying ourselves of self-reliance, pride, self-centeredness, independence from God. And the list goes on and on. But may we empty it. It is the Holy Spirit who brings transformation in people's lives, not us. He gives us wisdom and insight to us. He helps us to minister to the poor, to the weak, to the people in prison. He equips us to live in this world. Now Paul concludes in verse 5 in which he piggybacks on what he said earlier in chapter 1, verse 18. He says this, the message of the cross is foolishness to, the, to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. The purpose of Paul's preaching is to bring centrality of the cross into picture. And as we believe in the message of the cross, we're saved. That's the story. Notice what he says in verse 5. So that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but what? God's power. Amen. Our faith is not based on human wisdom. Amen. Our faith is based on the gospel of Jesus Christ, whom crucified on the cross. And that is what we need to proclaim. Paul understood it this way. I'm almost done. The gospel is the content of the message. And the Holy Spirit is the communicator. And Paul is the weak vessel. And the result, lives are transformed. And the proclamation of the gospel, guided by the power of the Holy Spirit. In closing, my dear brothers and sisters, God chose Paul, a weak servant, to display his power through weakness. In the same way, God chose this servant that is very weak so that his power be manifested in this weak servant. Amen? So, loved ones, I come to you in fear and trembling because God has given me a great privilege to serve him and to honor him. I know that, in fact, I didn't have, I don't have the power to change lives, nor do I have the power to save souls. Matter of fact, I am very weak. But it is through proclamation of the gospel that is ignited by the power of the Holy Spirit, that lives are changed, renewed, and saved, and transformed. Amen? Amen. 
In Corinthians chapter 2, verse 12, verse 9, and many of you know this verse very well, if not all of you, and I'm sure you recited this. He says, my grace is sufficient for you. That's what Paul, God said to Paul. For my power is made perfect in weakness. The Greek word for weakness is teleleo, meaning to bring to an end, complete, fulfilled. In other words, God is saying, my power will bring to an end of your weakness. Amen? It is done. It is complete. Because I showed up. Remember, I'm complete. So listen to what Paul's response. He says, therefore, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness. Why? So that Christ's power may rest on me. Amen? Loved ones, don't be ashamed of your weakness. Don't try to hide your weakness or try to bury it. Let us boast in our weakness and embrace it so that Christ's power may rest in us. So like Paul, we can say, for when I am weak, say it after me, then I am strong. Amen? I don't want you to just say it. I want you to say it with conviction. I want you to say it with passion. I want you to say it with, if your life depends on it. For when I am weak, I am strong. In my weakness, God, you are my power. Amen? I'm done for today. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your holy word, for challenging us and reminding us that you made us weak so that we may rely on you, trust in you, put our hope in you, and that you, your, your power will manifest powerfully in our weakness. So thank you. Father, thank you for your gift of your Holy Spirit that we are the temple of God. And Father, I pray that whatever is competing in our hearts with Christ, we pray that, Father, we will be obedient and we remove it so that you will fill our hearts with your power, your spirit, your love. So we thank you and praise you and we love you. In the holy name of Christ we pray, amen.